This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, this is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, executive coach, performance consultant, and host of the Do I Dare podcast. If you're a leader who wants to inspire, empower, and raise the leadership bar, then you have come to the right place, my friend. Here you will get access to powerful yet practical solutions that elevate your performance and dissolve roadblocks. Do you dare to lead in a way that moves the needle and scales the impact? Yeah? Then let's do it. Hello, friends. This is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, and welcome back to the Do I Dare podcast. I know you have lots of ways to spend your time, and I'm glad you find value in spending some with me. This is episode two of the Do I Dare podcast, and I think I might be starting to get the hang of this thing. Thank goodness for the talented folks at Soulfire Productions who make me sound good. They are the airbrush artists of the airwaves for sure. And again, a special thanks and shout out to them for their support and kindness in getting me up and running. I've received a few questions on why I named the podcast Do I Dare, so I thought this might be worth a a bit of an explanation. It's inspired by a T.S. Eliot poem that I'm quite fond of. The poem is actually called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock and is actually about unrequited love, so that'll be our little secret. The storyteller in the poem is wondering if he dares to disrupt the universe by making his intentions known to his secret crush. And the character states, do I dare? So such a risk, right? To dare to do something that you're not quite sure what the outcome will be. Um, The whole poem um, goes a little something like this. This section of the poem, I won't read the whole poem, it's quite long, but this section goes something like this. And indeed there will be time to wonder, do I dare? And do I dare? Time to turn back and descend the stair with a bald spot in the middle of my hair. They will say, how his hair is growing thin. My morning coat, my collar mounting firmly to the chin. My necktie rich and modest, but asserted by a simple pin, they will say, but how his arms and legs are thin. Do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute, there's time for decisions and revisions, which a minute will reverse. I love that sentiment. Just that whole paragraph of content uh, is so rich in a number of different ways. And I think spoke to me, especially as I was thinking about this endeavor Um, Really, the whole poem is about the insecurities that he has and wanting to, again, make his intentions known. And he talks quite a bit about time, that the clock is ticking and he really needs to think about and do something about this soon. He's just quite nervous about what the potential um, ramifications could be. So again, that concept of do I dare, the internal talk that goes on when a person is trying to make such an important decision is just quite critical. In addition to that, you guys might not know this, but T.S. Eliot actually, this was his first published poem. And he did that, I think, at the age of like 21 or 22. So smart cookie, no doubt. But um, again, just the phrase, do I dare, do I dare, do I dare disturb the universe spoke to me. So I really love that. And I've been known to do that on occasion, voice my opinion or act in a way that's impacted my little corner of the world. Usually for the better, occasionally it becomes a teachable moment for me um, and maybe others. But regardless, I only risk if I think the potential benefit could be far greater than the potential pain. And so we dare. Where we last left our sheroes and heroes, we were discussing the concept of time, again, something found throughout T.S. Eliot's poem, not only this one, but others. 
the value of it, the need to manage it much more proactively than we do, and the uh, intention with which we need to act on it. If you missed that episode, you might want to check it out uh, every place that podcasts uh, can be listened to. For now, we're going to take the second part of that and uh, where the first part focused on time and planning that time for your own benefit. So the things that you yourself want to make sure you take care of uh, in a calendar year. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about uh, the time that you spend with others, the time that you take to inform and communicate and plan and teach and decide and build with other humans who have overlapping objectives. In this case, for those of you who like a bit of a guide, you're more than welcome to check out the one that I have for you on Kimberly Kleiman Lee forward slash rhythm, R-H-Y-T-H-M. There'll be a free tool that you're more than welcome to download. And again, it'll guide you through some of the stuff that we'll talk about in this podcast. Um, But for now, why don't we just jump right in and talk about this concept called an operating mechanism or operating rhythm, uh, if you will. It's something that I was uh, quite used to in the corporations that I uh, worked in and found to be extremely valuable as I looked at and assessed where I was spending my time. Again, an activity that we talked about in episode one. January is the perfect time to lay out your plan for the year. And in future podcasts, I'll introduce you to some ideas on how you can make each of the plans you make in the year much more powerful. But for now, we're just going to stick to that 60,000 foot view, the concept of creating a rhythm of time as you work with others. So if you think about the concept of an operating rhythm, it's really quite simple. So if you think about it as a cadence by which a leader gets work accomplished throughout the year, it will help you understand that indeed there should be a cadence, number one. And number two, you should have full control over that cadence. Now, again, do do things come up in a corporate environment, an organization, or uh, especially one where that's large and complex and global and so forth? Absolutely, it does. But as I mentioned in the first episode, we've lost a bit of control over our time, and we've lost our way in terms of our ability to focus on priorities. And this is an effort to really get you launched out for success in 2021. I think endless meetings may have taken the place of these operating rhythms, but they shouldn't have, right? Meetings are usually for intention, but we've created a rhythm of meetings, weekly cadence, biweekly cadence, and so forth. Um, because it's easier to remember as opposed to that we have strategic things that we build into the meetings uh, with intention. So in this case, there should be a strategic approach to how and when and with whom you meet, communicate with, collaborate with, and so forth. And some of you might think, well, gosh, that sure seems like common sense. Well, in this case, yes, absolutely. Uh, And um, there are ways to actually construct that where not only does it seem to make sense, but it actually becomes quite productive as well. So in any given year, any given calendar year, a corporation or a division or a department or a team should have a rhythm by which they operate. And successful leaders um, plan to establish their priorities and develop their goals and evaluate their performance and discuss problems and um, brainstorm innovations and plan their finances and communicate updates and and more uh, to a cadence. That's what this episode is all about. So you might have a cadence that your larger corporation uh, touts and asks you to abide by. This one will be much more uh, closer to home. So in this case, the cadence I'm asking you to create is the one that you can have the most control over. 
how you and your team operate successfully to uh, contribute to the priorities and and goals and objectives that you set out to uh, probably earlier this month. So in this case, successful leaders should control and should certainly evaluate regularly how they want to invest their time and work together, all with some sort of return on their investment. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. You can look at this a number of ways. You can look at it quarterly, like what should I do in Q1, Q2, and so forth. Typically in Q1, you have all the kickoff activities and some wrap-up activities. Kickoff meaning what are the goals, priorities, maybe objectives, maybe KPIs that we'll be uh, looking uh, forward to um, progressing on throughout the year. It might be a time for you to finally announce the budget and the plans for those budgets. It might be a time for you to wrap up or close out the business from the previous year. And then, of course, announce and hopefully celebrate those terrific achievements. A little bit later in Q1, many of you start preparing for performance reviews. If you still do annual performance reviews, those are usually held in about the February-March timeframe. That also probably coincides with some sort of financial planning for your business in terms of bonuses and compensation and reward and that sort of thing. In Q2, many of you uh, think about having a team retreat of sorts or some sort of timeout to make sure that your team is aligned in not only the, the more tactical goals and objectives, but the longer term vision and mission of the team and your effort. You might also start at the end of Q2 or beginning of Q3 to think about the next year already. So plans for not only budgets, but other priorities, visions, new products, new services, um, things you want to improve, things you want to sunset. And Q4 is usually a time to really buckle down, close out the year with a bang, uh, of course, celebrate, and then put some finishing touches on any plans that you might have for the next the next year. So on a very high level, it seems to make a lot of sense, right? But when you start to get into the details, it's where we lose our way uh, to the big picture. So that document that I was mentioning earlier, that you're more than welcome to go to the website and download, all the details are in the show notes, could help you figure out, do I really have the right rhythm for my team, my operation? What might be missing and how might I be able to just tighten it up a little bit to free up time, not only for myself, but for my team members so that we can get to the business of work? Many folks are so um, booked. They're so scheduled that they don't have time to actually do the things that it takes to operate the business. All of their time is um, condensed and applied to very tactical things, usually reactive things. And this is a one way that you can certainly try to be a bit more proactive. So let's just talk about that. At the highest level, you want to look at your fiscal year. For many companies, it's January to December. I have clients where it's um, uh, October to September. Some are June to May. So again, it just depends on what your particular cadence is as a corporation. If you have, and I'm just going to use January to December as a a common language for us on our podcast. Um, If you have a January to December cadence, start to think about what things typically happen in that 12-month period of time that needs to coincide with a broader expectation of the corporation. So it could be HR policies and practices, finance policies and practices, legal policies and practices, and make sure that you lay that out in your 12-month calendar. When is what expected of me 
let me make sure that I plan time for that so I can not only do justice, but of course, fulfill an obligation. Secondly, start to think about closer to home. What kinds of things do you need or want to put into your cadence to ensure that the success you achieve is because of your intention and proactivity? So let me give you a couple of examples of that. I love to start out uh, the new year, in this case, January, with a, with a bit of a kickoff meeting. Now, some people think about that in the good old-fashioned sense of gathering hundreds of people in uh, maybe a, a warm climate um, for uh, two to three days, and it's half meeting, half golf. Well, that sounds lovely. And of course, I'm sure a lot of us would welcome opportunities to do a combination of, of learn and, and uh, be informed as well as uh, play and, and have fun with our colleagues. But an annual kickoff meeting can really be anything you want it to be. It's a way to really set the stage uh, and get your employees, your team members excited about the year you have ahead. How you do that is as unique as the people you work with. So really give some thought to, especially in a time where gathering together in large groups just isn't possible right now. How can you creatively do that over the airwaves so that folks can still get a sense of belonging to something bigger than themselves and they understand a little bit more about uh, your expectations of them and how they're actually going to contribute to that work product uh, at the end of the year? So some sort of formal, official, special uh, kickoff is certainly warranted in uh, January. It's also the time that folks start to think about goal setting, KPIs, priorities, lots of different companies, corporations, and organizations have different uh, names for those. This is a chance to really do what's called a cascade. Now, I have never really seen a cascade work successfully at super large businesses. Smaller businesses, it's a little easier, but at large businesses, sometimes it's like the game of telephone. What it started out being and what it actually translated to 12 layers down ended up looking quite different. But somehow figure out from your perspective as the leader, if you have a team and you're cascading your goals and objectives down, how can you make sure that every one of your employees sees a space or a place for them uh, in your uh, priorities, in your objectives? How can you help them align their work? How can you help them set their own uh, metric for success? And then, of course, how can you help them get there? So team and individual goal setting is pretty critical. Uh, I say team goal setting. Not a lot of folks focus on that, but it's something I'd strongly recommend you think about. Uh, team goal setting really has to do with, okay, do all of the individual pieces equal one whole thing? So if every one of us does our individual job, does that mean that the whole, the collective, is ultimately successful? It's a conversation worth having and happy to talk offline about that if that's something that interests uh, any of you or you want to explore some additional detail. After those two major things are done, so people are informed, they're aligned, uh, they're well, well communicated with in terms of uh, expectations and priorities and new product introductions and all of those sorts of things that get folks excited about the year ahead, then you start to get down to kind of the nitty gritty of sorts. So this is where you start to think about, okay, given what we think we have to tackle, how are we going to work together, communicate with one another to make those things possible? So this is where you start to look at your meeting rhythms. So your opportunity to get together to talk about what's necessary in order to keep that operation going strong. 
So think about things like leadership team meetings. If you are a manager of people, um, is there an opportunity for you to get the leaders of your team together uh, to have um, very specific and proactive agenda items, not that are routine, but that are critical. So sometimes people put the same things on the agenda in terms of getting updates as opposed to putting the right things on the agenda in order to get updates. In addition to that, uh, you might have uh, team meetings in terms of your direct report staff. And usually those are quite a bit of informing, uh, quite a bit of communicating, downloading, uh, translating, all of those sorts of things become critical. But make sure that you're taking the opportunity to assess the quality of the meetings that you want to host. This shouldn't just be you reading off a proverbial email in front of a group of people. Meetings, when you gather humans together, try to ensure that it's for the purpose of dialogue, discussion, conflict, exploration of ideas, brainstorming, problem solving. Really leverage the power of having all those human brains in one room or on one phone call or Zoom call at one time so that you can really take advantage of what makes them special. And that's their unique knowledge and experience around those topics. They can read the information pieces on their own. If it's a a complicated PowerPoint you need them to watch, use a tool like Loom, L-O-O-M, where you can actually advance the PowerPoint and they can see your face and hear your vocals in the lower left corner, for example, of that PowerPoint. That will help you save time in a meeting. They can watch and or listen to it at their leisure and come fully prepared to your meeting. Again, your meetings with other people should be active. They should be dynamic. They should be um, energetic um, and, and certainly alive with activity. Uh, not uh, necessarily as one way as as we usually end up making them. Then start to think about your one-on-one meetings. And this is your opportunity to do two things, really. One is to really understand the work that the individuals are contributing to. And two, and more importantly almost, is your ability to assess the talent that sits before you and help to grow their game with your coaching and feedback. Now, we're usually really good about having one-on-one meetings that do the first part of what I recommend, and that's getting updates. We're not necessarily so great as people leaders to um, look at and assess the talent in front of us and help them understand how they might be able to up their game, how we take an interest in their career ambitions, how we help guide them to the place they ultimately want to be how we help them see gaps or uh, blind spots that perhaps they're not uh, very familiar with or maybe comfortable talking about. But this is your chance, if you have noble intention in doing so, where you can earn their trust and certainly help escalate their game. So there's a couple different things that you can do when when structuring one-on-one meetings. And again, there's another tool, I'll put access to it in the show notes so that you have a chance to download that if, if this is of interest to you. When you have one-on-one meetings, think about a way to construct them and set up the expectation as you're announcing that you want to do this. How often do you need to meet? I tend to meet with folks who are newer at their role or newer to the company more often than those who are tenured and already experienced and established. Um, If a person is working on a new um, activity or if I'm really trying to groom and grow one of my talents, um, I will also tend to meet with them more often than not. So again, It's not, it's fair, but it's not equal, um, which is exactly what I tell my three teenagers. It's fair, I'm fair, but I'm not equal. 
And it's because it's situational, right? You give folks what they need when they need it, hopefully, if you're paying attention. The second component is that your one-on-one should really be driven by the talent, by the employee across from you. And in this case, you can set this up and you'll see this in the, um, the downloadable document that I'll, I'll put in the show notes. Um, they will come to the one-on-one prepared to answer those questions. And it's very specific to what are they working on? Um, where have they seen great success? Where are they falling short, um, frustrated, uh, hitting a roadblock? And therefore, where do they need your help? And then lastly, um, do the, is there any feedback for them? And then, of course, you as a great manager will ask for feedback from them. So that's typically the rhythm that I have for one-on-one meetings. And again, there's a lot more detail in that document that I mentioned. But you want the talent to lead that meeting because people need to understand, especially more junior employees, how to give a great update, how to inform in a crisp and and concise way, um, and how to get comfortable asking and giving feedback. So really important for you to have that time. That type of skill, those sorts of updates are going to help you assess their talent, their maturity, their sophistication a little bit better, um, as well as, again, build that personal relationship with them. I'm always asked the question, well, is it as powerful or as effective if you're not sitting physically with them? Most of the work I've done has been global in nature. So I am rarely uh, with the folks that I will um, be communicating such details with. So yes, absolutely, it's possible to do via phone. I always think via video is better. Um, but the biggest thing there isn't necessarily the time or the medium. It's really the courage um, that it's going to take to build that kind of relationship. So you need to build up trust, earn the right, and then dive right in. Next couple options, I'm sure some of you do quite well. So team retreats, team timeouts, I've heard them called a number of different things. Bottom line, this is a chance for you to gather your team. And if you don't have direct reports, think of it as you and your peer group. And you can certainly be a leader and recommend this to your manager and certainly maybe even offer to uh, to host or plan it. But team retreats or team timeouts are really an opportunity for you to uh, look at the, the current um, progress of the team. Um, certainly start to think about where you guys are doing great things and where you might be falling just short of your goals. Usually that can be a product of uh, personalities or conflicts or maybe um, um, confusion over expectations, et cetera, et cetera. And then can you get the group together to really work on some of those human things, right? The soft, squishy stuff. We used to call them soft skills. And I haven't heard that uh, term in in, uh, many, many years and for good reasons. What we're finding is that, of course, It's all that squishy, soft stuff that makes it either super easy to be in a business or super difficult. And if you don't address it, uh, you're going to find yourself on the super difficult side of the fence more often than not. So the more senior you get as a leader, the much less it becomes about the tactical business stuff and the much much, um, more it becomes about human relationships. So you need to plan time to address those human relationships. You can certainly do it in your one-on-one meetings. But in this case, a team retreat means you can do the deep work. You can dive deep. Uh, Almost every team retreat or or team offsite that I facilitate starts with some sort of trust building. Um, And what I mean by that is 
a way to really think through what are the challenges that we have? What might be the root cause, cause, which almost always, quite frankly, is an element of trust, broken trust, lack of trust. I don't know you well enough to trust you. You haven't earned my trust, et cetera, et cetera. And then we look at different ways to have dialogues about that. So our trust falls and ropes courses helpful, kind of. What I find to be much more helpful, though, is to do the deep work of, of having really difficult conversations in the context of activities and exercises. And that tends to be my forte. From team retreats, you can also do other things. Of course, there can be business updates and that sort of thing, but I would recommend much more that you focus on the team dynamic and the humans in the room, knowing that you can give them a business update anytime. But to have that valuable time together, hopefully face-to-face in one uh, location, especially if folks had to fly to come together, uh, is where you want to really maximize your time. So for those of you who are a little bit new at this whole, how do I strategically plan the, the sorts of interactions I'm going to have with my team throughout the year, um, you might be interested in the book by uh, Patrick Lencioni. It's called Death by Meetings. Super easy read. The guy writes as a, in a parable format. And in this case, he has a situation that he's trying to solve. And he's a consultant looking at this company and starts to understand that they just don't have the right rhythm. And he uh, helps introduce different sorts of meetings and different ways that they can actually solve some of these uh, deep issues that they have. So again, worth a read. It's probably two to three hours max. um, And I think you'd get a lot out of it. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So that's team retreats. There are other sorts of things that you're probably going to need to build into your time frame. One is um, an annual financial or or budget planning uh, series. Start early enough to make sure that you can communicate and gather enough intel to put together a decent plan. Sometimes I've worked for folks who, um, again, were all so busy and, and running so fast that it ends up being a couple meetings short of what it really needs to be to go deep, really gather everybody's wish lists and then figure it out from there. So think about when it's due and then back into it and give yourself enough time to really dream with your team and then plan accordingly. Alongside with that, hopefully first or prior to that, is going to be your annual strategy meeting. So your ability to really look at where are you, where do you want to go, what's the gap, and then start to put some plans around that. So this concept of a strategic meeting is really to think out into the future about um, how you're going to grow or expand your services, your offerings, uh, your product line, et cetera, maybe open up into new markets, uh, maybe uh, change or evolve the way you interact with clients, et cetera, et cetera. You need to do and understand all of that and then put together your budget and, and planning process, of course. Operating reviews, very common with um, with all sorts of companies, big and small but not necessarily done in the most effective way. So think about operating reviews. Um, Quite frankly, it's death by PowerPoint in many cases where folks are inundated. They have a 10-minute update. That's that's the amount of time they're allocated on on their uh, agenda. And they come in with 74 pages. So when I'm in the face of that, I will usually say, let's just do the math. If you were to take 74 pages, divide by 10, et cetera, et cetera, how much time would you actually have to give your update? And again, that then um, squeezes out all of the opportunity to have a really rich dialogue about your topic because you're so busy informing folks 
about the details of your topic. So really try to switch it up. If you're having an operating rhythm and you're the host, what can you do to really limit that? Maybe it's, you can come in with no more than three pages. And on those three pages, these are the five things I want to see. And I want you to save five minutes for us to have nothing more than a dialogue, to poke at it, to unpack it, to ask questions about it, to clarify things in it. That would be our goal. So again, operating reviews are typically quarterly, sometimes monthly, just depends on the nature of your work and and where you work. Uh, But they can certainly be done in a way where, again, dialogue is allowed to breathe so that you can really get to the richness of what folks are trying to share with you. You might also have stakeholder reviews or customer reviews, time where you can really bring in folks who will not only impact your work, but should be determining the direction of your work. You can have some really great, some folks call them roundtable discussions, where you invite people to the table to really um, focus on the things that matter to them, not necessarily to you. So there's some terrific content out there really around human-centered design, agile design. There's all sorts of names for it. So uh, again, reach out if you want some resources um, about that. But those sorts of approaches really take an, an outside-in view, um, which I think a lot of companies are are still trying to find their way back to. And then there are communications mechanisms like all-hands meetings, town hall meetings, ways where you can communicate to the extended population, not only about your progress, but for a way to, for them to understand how they impact the kind of work that you do, and uh, maybe even spotlight some of the great work that their peers are doing. So again, an all-hands meeting or a town hall meeting is a great opportunity for you to do a couple things. I always threw in a bit of education. I wanted to make sure that folks were informed and exposed to new ways of thinking or resources that might be able to grow their skill set. I always have a component of celebration or recognition. If there are new employees, if there are employees who are retiring, if there are employees who, quite frankly, have just done tremendous work or have done a lot of work, um, I want to make sure that we give them a chance to, to hear our gratitude and get a huge shout out um, for all of the great things that they've contributed to. It's also a chance, and you should certainly allow for enough information for Q&A. Folks have questions, especially when times are tough. And in the absence of communication, folks are going to conjure. They're going to conjure up whatever reality it is that they feel compelled to conjure because they haven't heard enough from you. If that's the case, what can you do to really build that into your next town hall meeting? And when times are tough, you do more town halls, more all-hands meetings to make sure you can keep your finger on the pulse of what's really going on. And then the last couple items I'd really recommend you, you think through and you try to plug into your annual calendar is official team development. Yes, you'll do some of this during your team retreat, but you should also be doing a bit of this during your team meetings as well. And I don't mean to take up the entire two hours or one hour of your precious meeting time with your direct reports or with you and your peers. I mean, something as simple as the first 10 minutes of every session will be dedicated to some sort of growth or development opportunity. You could uh, pop open a TED Talk. You could launch an article. You could provide a provocative question out to the group and talk about it as if it were a case study. You could invite a guest speaker from a different part of the business that perhaps most of your peers or your direct reports haven't been exposed to. You could have finance come in and explain the details of a balance sheet. You could have HR come in and talk about the value of integrity. 
Uh, you could have sales come in and talk about what it's like to actually go um, carry a bag out there in front of our customers selling our products. Where is it easy and where might it be difficult? And, and how, of course, might your team contribute to making that um, a successful uh, effort every time they go out? So team development, even 10 minutes every team meeting can do wonders. And what you're teaching people to do is how to be a constant learner, a lifelong learner. And we're going to have an episode of our podcast dedicated just to that. How do you help your folks lift their their uh, chins up um, away from their computer screen and really be awake in the world as they're going about their business? That's what team development really all do, uh, really does for uh, for the humans at work. And last, let's talk about this concept of celebrating. This is something we don't do enough, especially in the States and in many of the Western cultures. Um, it's this concept of really pausing, taking a good, hard, formal pause to reflect back on some great work that you've done. Or if it was a bit of a miss, can you reflect back and learn from it? I love uh, Nelson Mandela's quote, I either win or I learn, I never fail. And that's how I love my teams to think about uh, their approach to work. I either win or I learn, I do not fail. And celebrating can really take on a number of different meanings if that is indeed the perspective you have about life at work. So usually when I either work with a team, uh, lead a team, or now work with clients who lead uh, teams of teams, they think about celebration as, good job, everybody, what's next? And with barely a comma in between uh, then and new, um, they spend just a very little bit of time trying to figure out how they can help folks know that they mattered, that what they did was good and sound and solid and made a difference, added to the bottom line of sorts. And again, sometimes it's hard to connect our productivity to that sort of concreteness, but the goal is that you should try. Some folks have the very obligatory celebration at the end of the year. So they celebrate the closing of the year. But how do you change that a little bit? That's great. If that's all you do, at least that's something. But how can you change the way you celebrate to actually have it be at the end of a really long journey of work, at the end of a project that you're super proud of, at the end of a major milestone that's accomplished? Um, how can you celebrate when you get a great win from a customer um, or when you um, uh, really overcome a, a very challenging obstacle as a team? So be very specific and uh, with laser focus on when there are opportunities to celebrate and do that in a way that really helps people understand the importance of pausing, reflecting, dissecting and then celebrating the accomplishment that you just had. I think you'll find that you'll get discretionary effort. That's effort that employees or leaders would give you without you ever having to ask for it. You'll get more discretionary effort because you truly do think about um, the value of work in a way that might be different than your peer group. So there you have it, uh, operating rhythms in a nutshell. Today's episode was dedicated to how you spend time with others working with, communicating with, etc. And the goal here is to be intentional, uh, to be proactive, to plan the time that you need to spend together based on your top priorities and objectives. And to do that, you need to have some forethought. So think about grabbing a cup of coffee, a corner of a cafe somewhere and a white sheet of paper 
and really look at a 12-month calendar. If it helps, feel free to download the document I have on operating rhythms from KimberlyKleimanLee.com forward slash rhythm. And that will give you a guide of everything that we talked about today's podcast. The more proactive you are, the more you actually schedule these big rocks, so to speak, in your calendar, the more successful you'll be, the easier it will be for your followers to follow you because they will understand a bit more about the rhythm and cadence by which you like to lead your business. So as always, if you have any questions or if I can serve you in any other way, feel free to reach out. Otherwise, cannot wait to be with you again on the next episode of the Do I Dare podcast. Until that time, keep daring. Bye for now.